Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Michael Vaca from the Christ Medicus Foundation. Welcome. Thank you so much, Colleen. It's such a privilege to be with you. Yeah. And today we're going to be talking about organ donation. So this will be a really interesting conversation. So can you just start us off by explaining what the church's teaching is about organ donation? Let's start with donors and then we can talk about from people who have died afterward. Sure, Colleen. Thanks again for for being present and having me on and really grateful for the opportunity. So the first thing, and this is a great question because we want to always begin with what the church teaches and then we can go from there. Um, You know, organ donation is extraordinary care under Catholic teaching, right? So just to state the obvious, um, I don't have a right to anyone else's organs. No one has a right to anyone's organs, right? This is extraordinary medical intervention. It's not ordinary care. So Catholic theology, Catholic social teaching distinguishes between ordinary care, which is morally obligatory. It's what we're, what God expects of us to, to preserve our life because our life is a gift from God and we're expected to be good steward of that. Um, and extraordinary care, which is something that's not morally obligatory that, that may be licit, but is not required. And so Organ donation would fall within that second category of something that's extraordinary. Okay. And the reason that I I start there is because it's important to understand. Sometimes people talk about organ donation as it's like a mainstream ordinary treatment for people like, oh, just going to, you know, get a kidney or a liver, like, you know, very, very casual. But this is really an extraordinary thing. Um, It should not be the mainstream. It's certainly not considered by the church to be any form of ordinary care whatsoever. Um, so that's the, that's the first kind of qualification. Um, you know, what I want to say, uh, in specific reference to, uh, the messaging behind organ donation, and then I'll get into your, your question, Colleen, regarding the, you know, live donors versus dead donors, Mm -hmm. um, is that I, I believe that the messaging around organ donation is entirely wrong. Um, I think the the general Christian response to organ donation uh, is a very positive thing, a very charitable thing, a life-giving thing. Um, And although that's theoretically possible, the reality of organ donation as actually practiced is, is, is doesn't line up with that rosy picture. It's a very different reality. There are serious shift in the practice of medicine since basically the first heart transplant, uh, you know, uh, 40, 50 years ago uh, to now, there's been a tremendous shift in healthcare and the relationship between the doctor and the patient. And this shift, and, and this shift is part of the culture of death, has been from doctors treating patients as an end in themselves, right? So you have the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. And, and a physician says, my number one priority is the health of my patient. I don't want to harm my patient. I want to do everything in my power to help my patient heal consistent with my oath as a physician. Organ donation introduces a different aspect to the doctor-patient relationship. And that is you have physicians that are considering not only what is beneficial for that specific patient, but what is beneficial for other people. And they then are put in a situation of assessing, um, you know, if we choose to treat this person as a patient, that may mean that uh, other people don't benefit from their organs. 
Um, and so they're in this conflict of interest. What's best for my patient versus what's best for these other people that are desperately in need of organs. So it's important to understand that this shift in healthcare is a dangerous thing because the heart of healthcare is the doctor patient relationship. If you introduce into that relationship this idea that it's legitimate for physicians to treat patients as means to benefit other people rather, as a, rather than as an end in and of themselves, that's a very, very dangerous thing. And we can talk, you know, as we go on, I'll talk about various different instances of how that's abused and where that leads. But uh, that's something I want to say from the outset is that this is a fundamental shift in healthcare. I think it's very dangerous. Um, and I think that most people are completely unaware or at least naive about this. Um, the, the, the question about, you know, live, what is the church's teaching about live donors? Well, the church teaches that the ends don't justify the means. So what that means in the context of organ donation is that essentially, if you are going to take, you know, if they're going to take an organ, let's say, a kidney, right? So we're going to talk about a non-vital organ because if it's an if it's a vital organ, you can't take it from living donors. Period, because that would mean killing the donor. Um, but let's talk about non-vital organs. Let's talk about a kidney. If if somebody says I want to give my kidney to someone else, mm -hmm. a they have to have complete consent. So it is absolutely immoral. The church would teach for it to be done without consent. You can't do any medical intervention without the consent of the patient. So the patient has to consent to it. They have to know what they're signing up for. They have to know the risks. They have to sign on the dotted line. Yes, I agree to this. So that's number one. Number two is in addition to consent, right, um, they can't be harmed by the procedure uh, in a significant way. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, if this is somebody who uh, the expectation is, is a healthy person, um, they have two kidneys, they can give one and still live a normal, healthy life, uh, and they want to give a kidney, then that can be morally permissible and even heroic. Uh, it can be a manifestation of heroic love. But, um, but the consent is necessary, and the fact that it doesn't harm them is a prerequisite to the morality of that action. Okay. And then the other piece is that on the side of the recipient, the person who's receiving the organ... Uh, it has to be a reasonable likelihood that they're going to benefit from this. If it's, you know, a 99% chance that they're not going to benefit from it, um, then it can be immoral to do that procedure because you're you're doing something which uh, is not, you know, is, is not going to help this person and very unlikely to help this person, right? So, so there has to be a reasonable hope of benefit um, in order for this to be done morally uh, in an illicit way. Um, that's the criteria for the donation of non-vital organs like a kidney from a live donor. Um, and we can go on to talk about uh, the, the other critical piece, right, is the dead donor rule, which is to say, if it's a vital organ like a heart or a liver, that person has to be dead before you take their organs. Because if they're not, then you're effectively killing them, which would be, which would be at least manslaughter. Uh, if not murder, uh, for the benefit of someone else, right? And that's illicit. You can't kill somebody, which is, you know, thou shalt not kill. Mm -hmm. um, that applies to organ donation, right? So the person, if it's a vital organ, they have to be dead. Um, what we'll find 
uh, Colleen, when we look at the uh, the discussion of this in, in the literature, is that uh, there are certain organs like heart, like a heart, for example, that once it stops beating is essentially useless for a transplant. So there's novel definitions of death that have been um, adopted by the medical community to be able to permit heart transplants. Um, because if your heart stops beating, it's no good for a transplant. They want blood flowing through your heart. But the problem is if blood is flowing through your heart, that also means you're alive. Uh, and so they have these novel definitions of death and we can talk about what those are, um, you know, subsequently, but I just want to kind of set the stage for distinguishing, first of all, between vital versus non-vital organs and making sure that we clarify, you know, the importance of consent and the importance of this fundamental shift in healthcare um, away from the, you know, treating the patient as an end in and of themselves. Awesome. Thank you. So let's go into then the brain death and how that relates to organ donation, because I think that is kind of playing off of what you were just saying with the new definitions of death. Yeah. So can you explain what that is? Yeah. So uh, beginning in 1968, uh, there was a group of physicians out of Harvard Medical School, and they uh, put together a report, and the report was on um, what's referred to as brain death. And these physicians stated essentially two reasons for adopting this criteria of death. Traditionally, you know, for 2000 years, um, we know what the signs of death are. You stop breathing, your heart stops beating, you turn cold. Um, you know, we know what a corpse looks like. Uh, it's very obvious that that person is not alive when you look at them. These people that are declared brain dead, um, they don't look like a corpse. And what I mean specifically is <clears throat> they have a beating heart in, in many cases, um, their heart is still beating. There's still blood. There's, there's a circulatory system that's pumping blood through their body, but <clears throat> the claim, the, the belief, the really philosophy, because it's not medicine, it's philosophy that tells them this, that, um, that if you don't have brain activity, the, the belief is that the brain is the coordinating center of the human person. And so if you don't have any type of brain activity, they will consider you dead, even though your heart is still beating. And they'll say, oh, well, it's just because you're on a ventilator. See, if you disconnect the ventilator, then, then the person would shortly die. Well, yeah, they would shortly die, but that doesn't mean they're already dead. See, it's one thing to say, this patient doesn't want to be on a ventilator. It's extraordinary we're going to discontinue this intervention and allow the person to die naturally. That's morally permissible. What's not morally permissible is to keep the person hooked up to the ventilator to keep uh, their heart beating. And then to say, but they're really dead, even though they have a beating heart and rip the beating heart out of their chest and give it to someone else. That's, that is not morally permissible. Now the confusion here is that unfortunately uh, the church has not spoken definitively about these novel definitions of death that have been invented in the medical community. Um, you know, we know what the, what the criteria are as far as the person has to be dead before they donate a vital organ, but 
the response that a lot of people give um, is, well, we're going to leave that up to the doctors to determine, you know, what the what the point of death is. But can you imagine, Colleen, what if you were to do that at the beginning of life? Who are we to say that the embryo is a human person? Why don't why don't we leave it up to doctors to decide if the doctor says it's a blob of tissue? Who are we to say any different? That's insane, right? That would be the end of the culture of life. You would effectively have uh, innocent children being killed in the womb without any kind of understanding that these these people are entitled to the right to life. With respect to the end of life, it's inconsistent to say, well, we're going to define the beginning of life. We're going to define the embryo as a human person, even though that embryo doesn't have a brain yet. The brain is just being formed, right? So that embryo is a person and yet they don't have a brain. And yet at the end of life, we're told that this person that doesn't have a functioning brain is dead, even though they have a beating heart. It's fundamentally inconsistent, right? Because if the brain were really the central coordinating function of the human person, if that were true, um, then what's the basis to declare an embryo as, as, a, as a person? Now, what, what the advocates of brain death will say, Colleen, is they'll say, well, Michael, the, the brain is developing in an embryo. There's a potentiality. But once the brain forms, it becomes the coordinating center of the human person. The problem with that is it violates a Christian understanding of the human person. And what I mean is that uh, Aquinas teaches, and this is, this is the, the Council of Vienna has officially adopted this as church teaching, right? The official church teaching on the human person is this. It's that the soul is the form of the body. What that means is that my hand is not just physical matter. It's infused with soul. My, my heart is not just physical matter. My head, every part of my body is both form, which is the soul and matter, right? So it's a hylomorphic theory, right? That we're matter and spirit and they're interconnected completely. Brain death treats the brain, which is a physical organ, as the center of the human person rather than the soul. So A, it's materialistic in many cases. And even the people who avoid materialism, they subscribe to this type of Cartesian dualism. Like they, they, in their minds, when the brain stops working, the soul has left the body, right? The, the soul is not there. The, the, the brain in order, in, in what they would say is in order to be a human person, uh, you have to have the activity of the brain. And yet, uh, there are many people who are brain injured, whether it's PVS. Uh, unfortunately, this terminology is very dehumanizing, right? Persistent vegetative state. Human beings aren't vegetables, so stop using that term. But but in any case, uh, you know, they have these terms, persistent vegetative state, uh, anachalafic infants, you know, all these different categories that have serious brain injuries and they're clearly alive. And yet for people that are brain dead that have traumatic brain injuries, um, they can declare them brain dead and they can take their heart, they can take their liver, they can take their kidneys. Um, and, and yet we're supposed to just sit idly by and say, well, this is fine because they've been declared dead by medical doctors. Um, they're changing the definition of death. And, and it's not a surprise that this is connected to a multi-billion dollar business of organ donation. Right. So, um, you know, all you have to do is go get your driver's license renewed. And one of the first questions I'll ask you is, do you want to be an organ donor? 
you know, and when you say, no, I don't want to be an organ donor because, um, I'm concerned that they're not going to fight for my life. If I'm in a situation where I want to be given the best medical care, they look at you like you're, I remember I went one time and the woman looked at me and said, um, you don't want to save people's lives. Like, like, like I was like a villain or like a monster, you know, that I didn't want to, I didn't want to save somebody's life. Um, no, we do want to save people's lives, but, but the reality of how organ donation is practiced is often very unethical. And there's so many conflicts of interest that occur that there's reason, you know, in prudence for, for Catholics and people of faith to say, look, this is not something that is going to be prudent. And this isn't really, uh, something that we should be supporting at the level at which it's supported. Now, theoretically, it could be moral, but uh, the way it's often practiced um, is not. In fact, I just uh, was listening to um, or reading a testimony from a physician who was saying that most kidney transplants are actually from people that are declared brain dead and essentially are almost all heart transplants are from people that are declared brain dead. And the reason is, if you die under the traditional criteria, they can't, the heart is no longer useful. So the way that they're getting heart transplants, the way that they're getting liver transplants, even their preference when it comes to kidney transplants is they want the organs to be functioning. They want blood to be flowing through them, which means your body is alive. And they've just determined that even though your body's alive, you're not really a person. They've excluded you from the dignity of the human family based on a philosophical judgment, not a medical judgment. And I think that that philosophy is deeply problematic, uh, particularly for Catholics who, you know, we have a very specific teaching about what the human person is. So what advice would you have for people that are being like asked on their driver's license about organ donation? Like, how do you respond to that idea that it's this great heroic thing to do for somebody else? And how do you like bring up those ethical problems? I guess we've kind of been covering that, but just practically. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think the first thing to recognize is that, um, you know, you don't need to make if if. You know, the Lord does want you. And, and this I'm speaking to Catholics, right? If the Lord does want you to uh, or, or you think it's possible that you may want to be an organ donor. Um, you want to ensure that that's done consistent with church teaching. And so if you make that designation on your driver's license, um, it's a strong likelihood that it can be done in a way that's not consistent with church teaching. So if you really want to do good, uh, making a declaration on your driver's license doesn't seem to be the most prudent way of doing that in the healthcare system in which we live. Um, you know, you can certainly um, indicate on a, on a, on a uh, advanced directive um, that, you know, you would want, um, after your heart stops beating, you would want, um, uh, if there's things that can be helpful and you wanted to donate something that was still, uh, ethical, according to church teaching, you could certainly, um, you know, there's, there's licit ways of doing that. I think probably the best way is, um, your next of kin, right? The person that you choose to make medical decisions for you, you appoint your, your healthcare proxy to make decisions for you. If that was something important to, to you and it was something that you believed that the Lord was calling you to do, 
And that person would be in a position to say, okay, if we are going to do this, it has to be done in a way that's consistent with church teaching. Um, but to sign up to be an organ donor under the current protocol, uh, oftentimes you risk a not sufficient respect for your own right to life. B that it will be done in a way that violates church teaching and C that um, your consent can't be revoked even by the person that you're appointing, right? Because if you, if you yourself have already given the consent, um, then, um, then they have a legal basis for harvesting your organs, even if the person that is making medical decisions for you decides otherwise. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of problems with making that determination when you're renewing your driver's license. That's not something that should be promoted to people as a, uh, a smart, prudent, ethical thing to do, um, particularly given these serious problems and this fundamental shift in healthcare. Thank you. And also for the scenarios where doctors are harvesting organs from people who aren't dead yet, is that something that everybody needs to be worried about? Or is it something that only certain medical conditions have to be? Like, I've heard some people say that, oh, well, I have some kind of disability, so the doctor isn't going to be as quick to fight for my life as somebody else who's perfectly healthy. Is this something that yeah. everyone needs to be worried about? Are there scenarios where certain medical conditions are particularly vulnerable? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. Um, I would I would answer it um, in general by saying that we should all be deeply concerned about this shift in healthcare, because really what the church teaches is that Jesus is the divine physician, mm -hmm. right? That he's the one ultimately that brings healing and, and doctors, nurses, pharmacists, medical personnel are to cooperate with that healing. Um, and, and they're to never harm the person, but use the tools of medicine, the, the tools of science uh, to help people. Um, and there's something sacred about the doctor patient relationship, you know, that when you, when you go to your doctor and he says, um, you know, I want you to do X, Y, or Z, um, for this reason, or I want you to have this test, your assumption in meeting with that doctor is that the, this doctor has one priority and that is my health. Um, and, and there's a, time when, you know, fortunately in, in certain medical specialties like OBGYN, many times medical professionals will recommend things that are not uh, consistent with our faith, you know, whether it's contraceptives, they want to put the woman on the pill or they want to do a host of different things. So sometimes you have to push back and say, uh, you know, I really, sorry, I've prayed about this and Jesus doesn't want me to do this. And he's my divine physician. So I can't do this in good conscience. Uh, and if you have a good doctor that will respect that because you have freedom of conscience, freedom of religion. Um, but we get a lot of, you know, pushiness where it's like, you know, my way or the highway. And that kind of paternalism is very dangerous in healthcare. You know, we know better for you than you know for yourself. That's not what healthcare is. Healthcare is a relationship between a patient and a physician. And that's mediated through the consent of the patient. So, you know, the patient needs to be discerning what does the Lord want me to do in terms of my health care? Um, what doctor does the Lord want me to see? Um, having a physician that shares your faith um, can be a huge blessing for patients. Um, you know, think about um, Catholic telehealth programs like My Catholic Doctor. These are great things because they connect 
patients with physicians who really share their faith. So all of us, you know, need to be concerned about this because sooner or later, uh, somebody in our family, ourselves, so, you know, for that matter, anybody creating the image and likeness of God, which is everyone, is going to be impacted by this. And this culture of death that says um, you're not valued in and of yourself, or we don't think your life is really worth living. Um, who wants to live that way? I wouldn't want to live that way. So I'm just going to make that judgment for you. Uh, that's not, um, you know, that is absolutely not the way that healthcare should be going. Healthcare should be respecting the autonomy of patients. And all you have to look at, Colleen, on this, uh, you know, people want to be concerned about this, is look at the way that, um, you know, this was treated during the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Uh, people were, were you know, threatened with loss of employment uh, if you don't take this experimental vaccine. Uh, if you don't do that, then um, you're going to, you know, have these negative consequences. Um, you shouldn't be penalizing people for not putting something in their body. Uh, you know, that's that's a matter of freedom and discernment and conscience. And if a person has prayed about it and said, you know, I don't think the Lord wants me to do that, um, you shouldn't be penalizing them and forcing them to do it because it benefits other people, because you're treating them strictly as a means rather than as an end. And every person is an end in and of themselves. So I would say every single person should be very concerned about this fundamental shift in healthcare. It's the exploitation of the human person. That's part of the culture of death. But in the second place, um, I think your your question is is you know um, I I don't think people should be afraid, um, you know because ultimately like our lives are in the hands of the Lord, and and you should take you know prudent steps to protect yourself. You know designate somebody to make healthcare decisions for you that you trust, your spouse, um, somebody in your family that you have a lot of confidence in. But um, so you know do the things that are prudent. But but not to be fearful um, and and afraid, right? Because when trust breaks down, then then we can't flourish as human persons, and we're meant to live in community. We're not meant to go it alone. So we have to have you know some level of trust that um, the Lord is going. Number one, the Lord's going to take care of us. He's never going to let us down. But that also that you know He's going to provide us with the people in our lives that are going to help us to live fully alive and to be able to witness to His love. And so, not to be afraid. Um, you know, not to, not to make this a scare tactic to make people afraid, but people understand that there is a fundamental shift in healthcare, that this is not a good thing. And that I quite frankly think it's irresponsible when people are talking about, you know, organ donation is just this wonderful heroic thing that we should all be promoting and supporting. Um, I think that's really irresponsible and it does a disservice to the people who are killed uh, illegitimately for their organs and also for the people who uh, maybe didn't, they didn't have a fighting chance because uh, I was just reading recently, there was a case where somebody went into the emergency room from a bike accident and within an hour they were declared brain dead. Now the protocol for declaring somebody brain dead used to be two days and then they changed it to like 12 hours or, you know, a lesser time. This person was declared in an hour and immediately transplant team is there and they're seeing this person not as a patient, but as an organ donor. That is a violation of the dignity of a human person. That should not be happening. So I think it's something that we should all be aware of, that we should all be concerned about. Um, and we should understand that this is a fundamental shift in terms of you know how medicine ought to be practiced. 
um, that this is something that we need to, to really take seriously. Well, thank you so much for coming onto our podcast today and talking about it. It's something that I think Catholics hear about a lot, but don't necessarily think about maybe as seriously as we should. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the, and the other thing I'll, I'll mention too, Colleen, is that, um, is that, you know, in the, in the climate in which we live, um, we live in a very secular world as we know, and it's very easy for the messaging in the world to come in and be primary. And so, I think um, many people have not really thought deeply about this issue. Um, unfortunately, it's something where you don't really think deeply about it until it happens to somebody that you love. Um, and then you realize, oh, this is really a serious issue. It's something that we need to think deeply about. Um, but it's very easy. You know, the, the, the media is very pro-organ donation. So um, if you say what I'm saying to you, um, you know, this is hateful, this is bigoted, this is something that is against what they want people to believe. But the truth is, is that, you know, we're supposed to be living for the Lord, not living to please other people. And I'm really sorry that people are offended by this, but it's the truth. And it's important that people know that so they can form their consciences and live authentic lives because it's better. I mean, by way of example, and I didn't mean to do this, but it just, it came up. I was visiting with my uncle and my aunt and uh, my wife and I were having a conversation and somehow this conversation brought up about, um, you know, the signing up to be an organ donor and a driver's license. And I explained it to them, you know, that this is something that, you know, is problematic and why. And she looked, my aunt looked at me with horror. She said, I have that on my driver's license. She said, I had no idea. So the very first thing I'm going to do when I get back to the state of Texas, I'm going to take it off my driver's license, you know, because people don't know, right. And how many people have been guilted into this, or they think it's a charitable, compassionate thing to do, or they think it's, you know, and they haven't really thought deeply about it and they don't really understand the reality of what's going on. So I do think it's important not to be naive, but to be, to be discerning, you know, we're supposed to discern the signs of the times, and Jesus said, be innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. And so we need to be childlike and trusting, but we also need to be discerning and understand that there are a lot of people who don't really care for our lives and who are not really particularly concerned to defend our lives. And so we do have to be aware of that. And that does have to impact how we live our life, right? That um, we don't want to um, give them an easy means to terminate our life. Uh, and not and not show us respect because that's part of our vocation is to shine the light of Christ. We have to we have to be advocates for our own lives and for the lives of those we love. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Colleen. God bless you. You too. And to all of our listeners, please remember to like, follow, and subscribe. Whether you're listening on YouTube, Rumble, or any of our audio platforms, and keep on living the future. Keep on living the culture of life. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>